Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Newsroom Robots, the podcast where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and the news industry. I'm Nikita Roy, data scientist, media entrepreneur, and one of the many founders currently building their ventures at the Harvard Innovation Labs. On the Newsroom Robots, I'm excited to bring you insightful conversations with industry experts about how AI is impacting the way we do journalism. Joining me on the show today is David Clinch. He's the Vice President of Partnerships at Mather Economics and the Managing Director at Media Growth Partners. David has over three decades of experience at the intersection of news and technology. Renowned for his innovative approach to journalism and digital strategy, David's career includes spearheading digital and social media initiatives at CNN and driving growth at Storyful. Now, with Media Growth Partners, he focuses on guiding news organizations towards sustainable growth in the digital era. In this episode, David discusses the critical decisions news organizations face in integrating AI, focusing on the trade-offs between building or buying AI tools and delves into the impact of AI on journalism's business model. David, welcome to Newsroom Robots. Thank you so much for being here. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. David, you're someone who's been working quite closely with uh, major publishers and you have a lot of valuable insights into the trade-offs that news organizations are facing right now as they are formulating their AI strategies. So I really want to get your perspective and take on how newsrooms should be thinking about AI. And right now, one of the biggest questions that I've been seeing top of mind for newsrooms everywhere is the question of whether to build or buy AI tools. And there are good arguments on both sides, but there's a lot of substantial development and cost that goes into 
building your own AI tools versus buying your AI tools can accelerate the deployment of AI, but we probably don't have as much control. So I want to start us off right there by kind of getting your take on this dilemma that newsrooms are facing today. What advice do you have for publishers who are navigating this build versus buy decision when it comes to adopting AI? Yes, it's a fascinating question. And it really sort of reminds me of many years ago when social media emerged and, you know, the early days of that, where people were very nervous about what social media would mean for the industry. And then they were thinking about what they needed to do in terms of partnerships or tools. And there was a real problem in terms of just paralysis. And I see that again happening now where people are just not sure whether they should build or buy or do anything. And so in many cases, what I'm hearing and seeing is that same sense of paralysis where they're talking about things, they're putting committees together, they're putting, they're even creating new roles. Head of AI, newsroom AI is is a title that I've actually heard in recent months. And that's great. But again, it sort of reminds me of head of social media. What what did that mean then? And at 10, 20 years later, it's still not certain exactly what that role is meant to be. And in my view, if that role isn't about making those decisions and making them fairly quickly and efficiently, build versus buy, for instance, then that role is not really doing what it's meant to do. Like the most important role, the most important decision making that newsrooms need to put in place right now is that build versus buy decision making. And I would say that part of that is probably to take, certainly this is my advice, is to take a blended view of that. You always should do what I call organized laziness, which is an approach to don't build anything that you don't need to build that already exists that you could buy as long as the cost is right and you could apply it well, then it really is probably just a real waste of resources and time for you to build exactly the same thing. Now, on the other hand, if you can build something that is very bespoke, very specific to your needs and really helps you as a specific news publisher get what you need, then you should should build it and you should invest in building it and you'll have greater control over your own destiny. But I, I honestly, what I'm advising publishers to do is to think about a blend. Build what you need, build what you absolutely need for yourselves to create the tools that fit your workflows and fit your newsroom. But in many cases, if there are generic tools or great new exciting tools that do what you need them to do or want them to do, and you don't need to build them, then you should buy some. And I think the real purpose of that is if you're going to build things, that takes time, that takes investment, and everyone in your newsroom is going to want a different version of it or a different application of it. And I'm hearing from a lot of big publishers that that's really slowing them down on the build side. So that's why I think buy so that you can look at things maybe on short-term contracts and use them and see what they do for you while at the same time thinking about what your build strategy is. Yeah, exactly. And I think also the distinction when we're talking about AI, more specifically generative AI right now is advancing so quickly. The tech is advancing so quickly that you need to have that substantial resources and costs as well to be able to keep up with it. And so When you're looking at the buy landscape and the vendor landscape that is out there, the question then comes, how do we evaluate the different tools? There are so many people coming and selling you. Everyone's a new AI startup right now, getting VC funded and getting the money and showing you these tools. How do you evaluate and see what's a good tool that could fit your newsroom? And how do you decide on that? 
Well, on the buy side, I would say that there are sort of three levels of threshold and qualification that I look for and that I advise publishers to look for. One is the absolute clear line in the sand that you shouldn't really be buying AI at this point, which is clearly designed to replace journalism. If it's something that says, we can write whole articles for you, you don't need to employ journalists anymore, use us, no thank you, right? That's just the, the reputational risk of that is, you know, huge. And we've seen many examples of that recently, where if a totally AI created process with no human in the loop is what you buy, then you're wasting your money and you might even be costing yourself money because of the reputational cost. But once you're past that, or you're looking at tools that are designed to support journalism, not replace journalism, then a couple of other criteria that we look at is, I generally, and this is a throwback to my time at Storyful when I joined Storyful with Mark Little, is I would always prefer to buy from vendors that are either are journalists, were journalists, or have had a role in journalism themselves, and they know what they're doing, they know what they're building, and they have editorial and ethical concerns baked in all the way through their process. So that's the second threshold. Are there startups out there for people who have either been deeply involved in journalism or have been journalists themselves. And then the third one is, do they work? Do they actually do something that you want them to do? And I think just a really fundamental approach to AI-supported tools are things that help your workflow. If you're a small, midsize, or large newsroom, and you can access tools that help you do things like create newsletters or create videos or create summaries of articles for which you can have multiple uses. If they help you do that and they do it quickly and efficiently, then those are the kinds of tools that you should be looking to buy. And also, I just want to go back to that first point you were talking about, articles that would be completely generated without a human in the loop. How do you see the distinction between articles that were generated with natural language generation, like what the AP has been doing, a lot of sports articles that have been coming around, and there are a lot of startups that cater towards that market. How are you seeing the difference between that and then other tools that are using generative AI right now? Well, I think there are two important distinctions. And by the way, human in the loop, H-I-T-L, you're going to, in, out there in the listener world, you're going to start hearing H-I-T-L. So get used to that phrase. But the other key, key distinction, and this is very important, thank you for mentioning it, is that machine learning is very different from generative AI. And anyone who's sort of lumping them up together is really taking a risk because machine learning and various types of those sort of large data support systems have been used by newsrooms for years. And natural language learning, those things are very, very useful and have been used for years. That is all about using real data sets that you control completely and just using machine learning and natural language generation to just do things faster with very controlled data sets and content sets. That's fine. I mean, you still need to control it. You still need humans in the loop on that process as well. But when it comes to generative AI and creating articles out of nothing or out of you don't know what they're creating it out of, the risk of them accessing uh, content sets and data that you just don't know where they came from or whether they even exist, whether they're giving you an, a generative AI is giving you an answer or generating an article based on what they think you want, based on unreliable sources, that's way too much of a risk. So even with generative AI, I would say this is another important thing, is generative AI can be thought of as a tool where it's good data in, good data out, and 
bad data, to use it politely, but you probably know the phrase I'm talking about, bad data in, bad data out. You want to really avoid that as much as possible. So even with really good generative AI tools that might generate a good summary of an article for you or give you suggestions for headlines or give you suggestions for which articles are suitable for your newsletter, the key there is only have the generative AI look at the data set that you own and that you have in your CMS or in your system. Don't risk the idea that it's going to go out and look at things that you can't control. Now, there are ways to add other data sets slowly but surely so that it can broaden its view. But don't start with AI that's just looking at the entire internet because the risks are way too high. Yeah, exactly. And I think the generative AI and all of this builds upon the techniques and stuff from machine learning within the whole artificial intelligence subset. But the difference with large language models, especially, is it's also a bit of a black box, the way these algorithms are working with machine learning and stuff. You have a bit more explainability behind how the AI tools are working, but that's not really there with large language models. And you really risk, as you were saying, having hallucinations. And it's just too high of a risk to have trust in news is already low. I don't think we need to add that increased of like damage to our brands and reputation there. I absolutely agree. And I think that when you hear large language model, you have to remember that up until very recently, up until OpenAI and Microsoft sort of opened up Pandora's box, there was a lot of development going on in this AI world and generative AI, but it was going on responsibly and quietly behind the scenes with Google and others developing tools, but they understood the risks because large language model is just a huge amount of information and they were waiting to see whether they reached the level of reliability that they wanted to before releasing products. Well, that's not really the case anymore. Everybody is now racing to get their large language models productized and monetized as quickly as possible. And there are two things to think about there. One is, I would personally prefer a small language model than a large language model when it comes to journalism. And obviously, the huge corpus of journalism, quality journalism, is still a huge amount of information. But relatively speaking, it's not the entire internet, and you're significantly reducing the risks if you're only looking at qualified reliable, authoritative journalism, then the generative AI can do its magic and think about things that you wouldn't have thought about yourselves, things you could write about, the ways that you could write about them, sources you could use. That's a wonderful application of AI, but not the go out on the internet and either find things or make things up that we should either use or, or help us. That's a terrible way. So I think a kind of a more focused data set is a better way to start. And then the other thing is cost too. These things are not free. And if you buy or build tools, they might be free at first or look like they're free, but nothing is free, just like social media wasn't free. And the cost you will pay ultimately is one, reputational risk, and two, these costs can build up significantly. As, as these entities start charging for what they do, they need to make their money back and they will start charging a lot for these services. So you need to be absolutely certain that the tools you buy or build are scalable and affordable long term. And I think that's a very important point you're bringing up of like also thinking about the cost of what the investment might be short term versus long term if you're going and buying these tools. Also, when you're talking about that, you've introduced me to quite a few names of tools that I have um, looked into for newsrooms as well. And I want to understand what is the landscape for like these AI tools right now for newsrooms looking like? What use cases have they been really targeting on? 
That really brings me back, uh, that question of AI for newsrooms brings me back to the days of news gathering versus news production. Social media had a role on both sides of that equation, and AI for newsrooms has a role on both sides of the workflow, newsroom workflow equation. And then on the other side of it, it's things like, could it be used for subscription or reader revenue or advertising revenue strategy? And the answer is both. So when it comes to newsroom workflows, I look for two things. I look at tools like Nota, which is heynota.com, which is a Microsoft-backed company, which I think is a really smart application. It's run and co-founded by somebody who's from the news industry, Josh Brandau. So he knows what he's looking for. He reverse engineered it out of his experience when he was with the publisher. He's working with a big tech company responsibly to access their technology. So those are really two good signs. But then also it's just based on workflows. What are you doing in the newsroom that takes too much time, that if you had tools that support you, you could do twice as many newsletters or create twice as many videos. It doesn't mean the machine is doing it all for you. It just means that your staff and your experts and your journalists in the newsroom are able to do more with the time that they have and with the content that they have. So that's a really nice kind of rounded circle for me where you don't have the risks of generative AI just creating something from nothing. It's about supporting your existing workflows. And then in a more sort of open source world, I like Legitimate, which is a UK company, legitimate.net, because they've taken the approach to that AI can be useful for newsroom tools and for workflows, but it can also be really very, very useful for taking things like your entire body of work, every article that you've ever written and presenting that in a singular way so that you're essentially verified as a journalist by your own work instead of having to pay somebody for a blue tick somewhere or rely on a publisher or even your own employer to sort of, you know, be the verification of who you are as a journalist. It's it's a really smart way to gather all the journalism that you've ever done, perhaps even as far back as journalism school and present it as almost like a LinkedIn for journalists, like your, your entire body of work is how you are verified. And then they take that body of work. And I think this is very clever and I'll just give you a concrete example. Looking at everything you've ever written about and how you've written about it, you can go to sleep and wake up the next morning and Legitimate gives you a whole number of prompts based on what's happened overnight while you were asleep, the stories that are out there in the world, to give you a suggestion of, here's a story you should look at, here's a way you've written about it before, here are some sources you can think about. So all of those things that would take you four cups of coffee and maybe two or three hours to get to, the AI, based on your own work, is already telling you or helping you get much faster to suggestions about what you should write about and how. So I think those are two very clever, very sort of rooted in journalism applications of AI. And there are many others, but those are two that I really like. I think what you're showing is these are the tools that are not replacing the work of journalists. Again, they're enhancing the work and work that probably would take us a lot of time and maybe more mundane and repetitive. It's just speeding up those processes so we can focus on journalism and work that actually matters and cover more stories that way. And also talking about tools, your current work, you're working with Mather Economics, which is a global leader really in subscription management and customer data analytics. And I have to congratulate you. You all just acquired Sophie, which 
which is another AI-powered tool that automates and does uh, predictive paywalling decisions for publishers. And it was a tool that was built out of the Globe and Mail's newsroom, which is one of the leading newspapers here in Canada. And so... How have you been thinking about, you know, all you use a lot of machine learning in your processes. And so how have you been adopting all of these new AI techniques, thinking about them and your work at Mather as well? Well, yes. And thank you. I mean, that's the other side of the coin, right? Mather Economics and Sophie are really trying to help publishers acquire audiences, price their products correctly, optimize their content for revenue on both the subscription side and on the advertising side. Well, those things require huge amounts of data to be very quickly calibrated and contextualized for publishers so that we can create uh, recommendations for them. Well, As you said, that has been a great use case for machine learning on both sides of that equation, Mather and both sides of the team, Mather and Sophie, for years, because large amounts of data, why would you not use machine learning to help you optimize those? Now, again, always human in the loop before those recommendations go back to a publisher. But I will say that when it comes to generative AI, you know, we absolutely, and I think anybody working on the revenue side of the business, could not take the risk. I mean, reputational risk on the editorial side is huge. Revenue risk on that side of the business is perhaps even bigger. If you relied on AI to tell you which users you should target for subscriptions or which ones should get the highest CPM advertising, and you did that without complete control of the data sets and the recommendations, you would be just risking way too much. Having said that, again, we're looking at this probably more conservatively than you know we would with newsroom tools where we're making those recommendations about partnerships. On this side, this is our work and this is the work that we're doing. We're not going to tell our publishing partners, you know, you don't need to talk to anyone at Mather and Sophie anymore. More the AI is doing it all for you. That just would not work, right? But on the other hand, telling them and telling our own teams to explore the options that AI might bring to us, again, with very controlled data sets. If I'm only looking at my users that come to a publisher's website and thinking about the recommendations that I can give to them around pricing or content, that's what we've been doing for a long time. What would AI allow us to do if it could very quickly look at other data sets from the industry and really do sort of things like benchmarking and things like price comparison and content optimization much closer to real time because it's looking at controlled data sets and helping us and our experts make those recommendations faster and better. That's the kind of opportunity that we see. What we do not ever imagine is AI making recommendations without our experts or out humans in the loop. But there is no doubt at all that generative AI can look at massive data sets and come up with ideas, recommendations, value that's hidden within these data sets that might take humans longer. So that's the approach that we're taking there is what could it do? What could AI do for Mather and for Sophie to analyze these large data sets that we're already doing? We're already using machine learning to analyze. What could it do just to give us a broader view of those things. And then we'll start incorporating it if we see the value. It's definitely not something that we feel like we have to do, but we're trying to explore what the opportunities are. And you're talking a lot about human in the loop. And I I think I want to get deeper into that a bit as well. Where do you see like the human in the loop at what step coming into 
the AI systems? Is it before anything related to a decision from AI comes out, like any recommendations? All of that is all decided by and approved by a human before it goes out. And how are you thinking about this, how the human fits into that loop for people building products as you are doing? Well, I think that's a great question. And I really do think it's before, during and after is the question. So looking at newsroom tools and editorial workflows first, if you think about all of the rules that you have in place, copy editing rules, news gathering rules, style rules, ethical rules, you know, all of those editorial rules. Well, there are ways, if you take the time to load all of those in up front into any of the prompts that you or your newsroom might make every day. So rather than just saying, write me a newsletter based on these three stories, which AI could probably do, you would have already baked in the style questions, the appropriateness questions of which content would go to which audiences and what content should be behind. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In the paywall or in front of a paywall, all of those things can be baked in. So that's about rules setting. And I think a lot of people don't understand that right now about AI is because they're just using ChatGPT or these other public facing and commercialized products, which really make it so easy for you to just ask a question and get a magic, magic answer. But the way to add predictability, the way to add you know, more reliability is to make much better prompts. And those prompts require you to put all of those rules, all of those style things, all of the editorial frameworks and guidelines into your prompts. And there are ways to do that if you take the time to have all of those baked in so that you can then you can ask generative AI to make a newsletter based on your content, but it's doing so based on your, the rules that you have set. So I think a rule, a rule that's emerging in newsrooms, which is already there and is going to be a much more common role, is prompt editors, people whose job it is to make sure that the prompts that anybody in the newsroom uses, at least those that have permission to use prompts and AI, that those are already based on rules and guidelines and guardrails that the newsroom wants. So that's on one side. And then obviously on the on the revenue side, same thing. If you've got rules and regulations and guidelines, you should have those baked in before you even ask AI to look at any data sets. But on that side in particular, I think it's also really important that you tell generative AI to only look at certain data sets, because otherwise it'll go off and wander around and try and find other data sets, or perhaps at the worst case, even invent other data sets. You need to tell it what to look at and only look at 
those data sets. So I think on both sides, it's baking in rules and regulations, but also those prompts need to be very clear. AI will only do what it's told to do. I've been using that a lot in my prompts of specifically saying, please do not make any assumptions, do not add any information, only look at the data that you've been given. And that's been helping with the prompts and it's not hallucinating as much. But this also brings me, when you're talking a bit more about this, of how jobs and roles within newsrooms are evolving. We had a lot of these conversations in the beginning of the year of people being like, are the jobs of journalists going away? Like, what's happening? But are there roles within the newsroom that you're seeing maybe may be more at risk or evolving in nature? How are you thinking and looking at that? You will note the fact, or maybe I should note the fact that I said that we should only look at AI companies that are not designed to replace journalism But I think it's naive and would have been naive years ago to say that social media or the web or digital tools would not have ever replaced a journalist. And the journalists that didn't keep their jobs or didn't stay in the industry were often those who didn't adapt to those new tools and didn't learn digital workflows and and weren't prepared to make that adjustment. I mean, and obviously others lost their jobs too, because the bosses didn't know what the heck they were doing with social media and with big search companies and others who were extracting huge value out of the news industry. And that's a sin. That's another sin that we need to really avoid this time around, which is not just the newsroom people and journalists, but the bosses, the the heads of the news industry may need to be absolutely certain that we don't let these AI companies extract too much value out of the business. But at the ground level, There are huge opportunities, just like there were with digital, with social media. The bosses hopefully are handling the risks and and thinking about the larger questions. But at the ground level, it's actually a very interesting, exciting time to be a journalist. You can do a lot more with less if you know how to use these tools and if you use them smartly. And everything I'm saying is that young people in newsrooms particularly And even some old people like myself. But I mean, I didn't adapt to social media till I was well into my 30s and 40s and ended up at Storyful doing a startup way into my career. So it's not just for young people, but younger people and smart people who know what they're doing. It's a great opportunity to think about what AI can do to help you with your workflow. I also happen to believe it's a real opportunity for smaller newsrooms that are very resource restricted to think about how AI can help them generate audience and revenue without having to spend a huge amount of money. Also, when you're talking about the roles of journalism, we have to also talk about the business model of journalism at the same time. I think that's it. That's at a huge risk right now, especially with generative AI search coming into play. And as you were just saying about making sure that these AI companies are not taking away and extracting our work and using that, how should we be thinking as newsrooms right now, the business model that we've had for such a long time kind of being disrupted in the way that now when you go into Google and go into any of these places, they're able to drop on our work and give you a short summary. And if that's enough, you don't need to go onto your website anymore. And that disrupts that entire business model of us getting customers from these search engines. How should we be thinking about that? We should be thinking that they should pay. If these companies want to create really powerful, meaningful, useful tools with AI, they need access to quality information and content. There is no better source of quality information and content about almost every subject in the world, in every language, than journalism. 
quality, authoritative journalism is reporting, has reported for decades, is reporting now, and will continue to report for the foreseeable future on every subject under the sun. And why, if you're an AI company, why would you not want access to that? The idea that they only need to look at journalism for a bit and then they've taught their engines how to do journalism, that's complete rubbish. The idea that you've taught an AI engine how to do journalism, so all you'd need to do is put the information in and authoritative journalism would come out the other end, it's just not true. It just isn't true because information changes so quickly. There's so much subtlety. There's so much expertise. There's so much sourcing that is involved in verification, involved in true journalism. These AI models need continuous reliable access to authoritative journalism. And I think they know it. And I think they know that they can and should pay for that. Those things will be worked out, you know, above my pay grade. But one of the things that I am working on very specifically is the idea that if we're going to do that, if they're going to pay, then something that publishers need to recognize is that there needs to be a much better system than bot scraping because bot scraping is terrible for everyone. It's inefficient. It's just, it's a very invasive, very hard to track process. AI machines don't learn very well using bot scraped data and publishers don't know whether somebody's taking content or not. So as these as these deals are worked out, I'm really concentrating on a technical solution that would provide valuable journalism in a much more efficient way, but only to the AI companies that agreed to license. Could you talk more about that? What do you mean by like, what kind of a technical solution are you envisioning? Well, I mean, one of the problems with bot scraping is that bots, even the very good ones, or I should say, very highly technically developed ones, don't really understand much about how news websites work. They don't understand paywalls versus non-paywalls. They don't understand aggregated content or licensed content versus wholly owned content. And so they're just looking at everything and trying their best to understand what an article is and what it's about and what's in it if they can't see behind the paywall. Well, if they agree to license, publishers, I think, should sort of take a step towards the AI companies that have agreed to license and say, if you want access to our content, we can actually deliver it to you in a much more efficient way. Only if you agree to license. And I can imagine all sorts of solutions where only the wholly owned content that a publisher has is delivered in an off-site solution to the AI companies that agree to license. Then all the other bots are blocked on your website. That's a big plus for the publishers. They could block anyone that doesn't license. But it also means that the data and the content that would be shared with AI companies is that authoritative content. And it is only that. And it's not aggregated, licensed, secondhand information and content. It's only that original journalism that you own yourself. And I can also imagine that that might be connected to value scoring, that, you know, if it's a very expensive piece of content that was behind a paywall or investigative journalism or any of these things that are highly valuable, well, that scoring and that sort of value should be translated through. So rather than the AI just accessing everything as if it was equal, I think publishers could probably provide AI companies, and again, only the ones that agree to pay, with a really highly sophisticated value scoring for their content. So we'll see how that ends up. But I just, I'm kind of playing both sides of that. I think AI companies need to pay, but I think that also publishers need to understand that if they expect to get paid, then they should deliver the content that is the most valuable 
with that kind of value scoring so that they are providing something that really is worthy of that payment. That's a very interesting perspective. Yeah. So we also need to be able to bring something onto the plate, really, in terms of having a tool that they can use and then asking to be paid for it. And I agree with you, as you said, like they would only, if you train on a publisher's content with a large language model, they would probably only be able to write and mimic the voice of that publication. They wouldn't really be able to produce the knowledge in real time that a publication is doing covering the real events. They need to continuously have access to that information only then will the large language model be able to produce that in their outputs. The best that they can do is mimic the publisher's voice at best. And so when you're talking about all of these different tools, I also have to talk about local news, which is going to be facing a lot of challenges also at the same time with this business model. What's your perspective on the looming challenge that they are going to face and how are we going to incorporate them in these big conversations? Because the big newsrooms are part of it. What about the local newsrooms? Well, that's an excellent question. And that's why outside of my work with Mather, I spend a lot of time with my consultancy thinking about how these things will both impact and could potentially be opportunities for for local newsrooms. And it's hard. It is definitely difficult when you think about the fact that so much emphasis in terms of the value of journalism is talked about with large regional newspapers or even the big national and international newspapers and news organizations, they get a lot of the attention and they do, of course, hold a lot of the value. But I will also say that, for instance, just starting with the large language models, if you are trying to create a large language model and an AI tool that produces really accurate and up-to-date local information for local audiences, you need to access that information locally as well. That Just accessing national and international news is not going to be enough for you. you. You're going to need all of the contextualization and local information that a local publisher provides. Now, a local publisher is probably not going to be top of the list for some large deal with an AI company. But that doesn't mean they shouldn't be on the list. And I'm imagining a situation where once those deals are done at the higher level, which is probably going to happen first, and they come down the ladder to regionals and then to others, that news associations and representative groups are going to play an important role because they will be able to aggregate content and pull content together in ways that will sort of show its value at scale in in a way that wouldn't be that dissimilar from regional or larger news organizations because the cumulative aggregated value of these local audiences is still very significant. But that would also, again, kind of put the emphasis on the publishers, the local publishers, to really value the original journalism that they create. Because that's what AI will pay for, right? They're not going to pay for your reach necessarily. They're not going to pay for your aggregated content or anything other than your original journalism. So I do imagine also that dynamic emerging, even with local news, where if AI agrees to pay, it's probably not going to be a huge amount of money to any particular local organization. But it should at least be connected to the value of your original local journalism. And so I think that that's actually kind of a mutually beneficial incentive that is is emerging for local news and large AI companies and tech companies in general is they don't want to do a deal with hundreds of different small news organizations, but if they can do deals at the larger association level, then publishers should be and will be incentivized to create more local journalism. And then on the newsroom side, for small newsrooms, 
they just can't afford to immediately jump in and use the tools that I was referencing earlier in most cases. Although I will say that legitimate in particular, that one of the, of the reasons I like them is they do have a number of free tools. And I think that free and subsidized tools that are scaled across, again, cohorts, associations, that's the way to think about how AI tools can be useful for small newsrooms. It's not really going to be acceptable to just not do anything because they can't afford it. So it, it has to be an approach that creates the subsidies that are required. And Press Forward is about to launch an initiative of half a billion dollars, maybe more for local newsrooms. I am very confident speaking to them and the people involved there that they see the role of technology as vital in that. It, it shouldn't just be money for creating journalism in some general sense, at least some of that money should and will go to media technology as well. So there are a number of sources of revenue. It's very hard, but the key is to be imaginative and thoughtful about how the right revenue and the right technology can go to the right people. And I think, as you were saying, we are having all of these journalism support organizations might be playing a very important role for local news coming up. And the role of journalism and the value of journalism might become increasingly important in a world that is driven by AI-generated content everywhere. And we'd still probably be one of the few industries producing original human content, human-written content. Also, talking about all of this is wanting me to understand more about what are you excited about in terms of AI? You've seen the different transitions through the industry, the social media coming in as well, new technologies being adopted into the industry with now generative AI and the stage that we're in in the industry and, and with newsrooms, what are you most excited about seeing publishers doing? Well, that is a great question because, you know, I have been in the media world for more than 30 years now and I've been challenged by and I've been I've really loved the challenges that have emerged of the transformation to digital and then social and now AI. I see them as challenges. So I'm excited about the challenge for myself personally. Although I think it's important to remember that just because I have adapted to those things and, you know, I've been part of great efforts like Storyful to find ways to create solutions and valuable services for, for the news industry, much of that was and still is rooted in the fact that I'm joking to a certain extent, but I hate social media. I think it's terrible and I think it's just really hard to find valuable information. And so my approach and our approach at Storyful was curation. It was take these skills of journalism and create curation and, and then add technology to that to create value. If this, if this thing is going to be there, then let's at least try and put as much journalism into it as we possibly can to create utility and usefulness for the news industry. And that's the approach that I'm excited about with AI too. I don't know that curation is exactly the right word, but I do think that it is still about the idea that there could be, if we play our cards right, and if we find the right collaborators on the tech company side, there could be such a thing as a large language model for journalism. And I think that that could actually be very exciting if there were ways for tech companies to this time round collaborate in a much more useful way and, and respectful way and pay for what they 
need in terms of the access to the content, but also collaborate. I absolutely think there are ways in which AI can do a great job of connecting great journalism to great audiences, because that's an existential problem for all of us. If people are not accessing authoritative journalism locally, nationally, internationally, we're all screwed. But journalists are screwed, audiences are screwed, and so are the AI companies and the tech companies. We all need authoritative information to work and to work at scale. And yes, there's a business model question, and I think that will always be the case. But I actually personally think that there are huge opportunities for the tech companies that are smart enough to recognize them, that if they take a less combative position if they agree to pay some reasonable amount for access to content for their AI models, that they could actually not only benefit themselves, but they could help much larger audiences benefit as well. Because instead of leveling the field like search did and social did, that all content is the same, there is actually the opportunity to take authoritative journalism and put it at the top of the pile within AI so that the people asking questions get better answers and that all of us are able to spread authoritative journalism to larger audiences. And I actually think AI can play a great role there. It can play a very destructive role if the deals are not done and if collaboration isn't in place, it'll just, it'll wipe it out. There will be super fans left reading a few big brands and paying for them. And then everyone else will just be swimming in the ocean of data and information and asking questions. And what will come back will be whatever the hell comes back. But if we tech companies, maybe governments and others all align around the fact that there is a vital role for journalism to play, then I actually think AI can play a huge role in supporting journalism in the future. It's it's a big risk and I don't I wouldn't say I'm confident, but I would say that there is an opportunity for that to happen. And that would be a really exciting opportunity actually and hopefully this time around we can have more conversations and that collaboration with tech companies rather than having this feeling of being exploited instead by them and what they're doing with AI tools. But also to kind of like wrap up, maybe on a more lighter note, I'd love to hear, we've spoken a lot about how you've been working with AI and all of these AI strategies, but how have you been using AI in your own life? How has it been impacting you? Well, that, there are two answers to that question. One is that I have three adult children who, who regularly update me on technology and keep me across how AI and other things are impacting their worlds. So I definitely have become aware of some both risks and wonderful things that are happening for younger people in terms of AI and how they use it. None of them, as far as I know, have been cheating on their college ex exams <laughs> using it. But AI is definitely a tool that I think smart young people, including my own kids, are using for to generate really interesting ideas and thoughts for themselves. And then for myself, I generally am using it for things nothing to do with news at all. I'm using it to find the best places to travel. I'm using it to think about what books I should read, what movies I should see. I think that for me personally, I am avoiding using generative AI in any kind of serious way for news or information because I just don't trust it yet. 
But on the other hand, and maybe I'm being naive, I am trusting it for things like recommendations for travel and entertainment. So I'm playing it safe, just like I did with social media. When, when it comes to news, the threshold for me is very, very high. I need to trust the tools I use, and I don't yet trust AI. But for other things, it's been a great tool for me for things like travel and entertainment. It's nice to hear you being a bit of a skeptic of AI as well, but using it in your personal life, you're okay with it hallucinating to give you a travel destination. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, yes. Uh, well, David, you've answered a lot and cleared a lot of the questions that I've been having on top of mind and helped think through, especially this big build versus buy question and some very interesting thoughts on what the future should look like for us to have a more, more of a role with technology companies as we develop AI and have a valuable field for journalism. And thank you so much for joining me on the Newsroom Robots podcast. I enjoyed talking to you as always. Thank you so much, Nikita. This is wonderful. And again, I think the main message for me, just like it was with social media, is find ways to use AI before it finds ways to use you. So if you take that approach to it, I think you'll be better off because otherwise, a few years from now, you will be the product. And that's just not a good idea. But this is wonderful. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. And thank you so much for having me. Thanks, David. That's a perfect note for us to end on. That was David Clinch, the Vice President of Partnerships at Mather Economics and the Managing Director at Media Growth Partners. Stay updated with the Newsroom Robots podcast and sign up for our newsletter at newsroomrobots.com. This podcast is made possible thanks to the Harvard Innovation Lab's Spark Grant. I'm Nikita Roy, and this is Newsroom Robots.